0: what's up folks we've got tons of college basketball to talk about but before we do we got to acknowledge our presenting sponsor chevalier mortgage mike and virginia chevalier are not only diehard broncos fans and proud csu alums but they've supported dnvr for a lifetime as dnvr members they're a husband and wife team with over 15 years of financial service experience and they're trying to hook you up Sure, you're probably hearing all about these mortgage rates and how great they are and yada, yada, yada. How do you know if you can trust them? Well, Mike and Virginia, they're not your typical mortgage company. Sure, they've got phenomenal rates, but really what makes them different is that Mike is a certified financial planner and looks at so much more than just the rate when designing your home loan. They also are a small family owned company, so you'll always feel like you're a person and not a number. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com and enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. Like in Virginia, they'll work tirelessly to find the best loan for your situation. Again, visit them at dnvrmortgage.com. Enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat when you do. Most importantly, get set up with that free consultation to discuss all of your options. If you'd rather talk to somebody on the phone, you can do that as well. Call Mike directly at 970-412-2472. That's 970-412-2472. Or again, visit them at dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. What's up, everyone? Love is in the air and so is madness. This is DNVR Madness, a national extension of our college basketball coverage. This is presented by Chevalier Mortgage, our main guys. I'm Justin Michael. I cover the CSU Rams. I'm joined by Ben Gerding. He covers the CU Buffs, among other things. We love college basketball. We're stoked to talk about it. Ben, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a rough morning. You had to go to the DMV, but you're here. You're ready. You ready? I mean, can we get going? Are you still like trying to decompress from the DMV? Because honestly, I understand that that's a hellhole of an experience.
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, this is probably the best way to break the rut because this is going to be, you know, very energetic. We're going to talk about exciting things, whereas at the DMV, it is just a a clown show of lies, you know, sitting there, lots of waiting, waiting for no reason other than to make you wait. But you make a good point. You know, love is in the air. Madness is in the air. They're pretty much one and the same for me. I can't speak for you, but this is a great time. February is here. We're getting so much closer to March. Let's get rolling.
0: I mean, no offense if you work at the DMV, but also 100% offense if you work <laughs> at the DMV. So, you know, it is what it is. You you know, honestly, if I worked at the DMV, I'd probably just lean in and take pride. In, and because everyone's going to hate you no matter what you do anyways, it, it's pretty much out of your control at that point. So you might as well just lean in and be the heel and go like full WWE on it. Just embrace the booze, flip off the crowd, Vince McMahon, walk out onto the stage. Anyways, I'm going off on a whole tangent here. Let's... Let's get it going. Um, just some general things, real quick. RIP the Blue Bloods, dude. It, it's not their year. It's just not. It, it's such a weird basketball season. I mean, we have some legitimate, you know, title contenders. People that should be considered Blue Bloods. It's just not the programs that we're used to. And at this point, I'm kind of interested to see how many of these schools. You know, the Dukes, North Carolina's, Kentucky's, God, I don't, Michigan State's, I like, Arizona's, all these schools. Not very many many of them are going to be in the tournament.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I I think North Carolina is probably the safest bet of the Blue Bloods as far as teams that are going to make it. But I listened to the CBS um, Eyes on College Basketball podcast with Gary Parish, Matt Lorlander, and they brought up an interesting question. Um, You know, they said, can the Blue Bloods blame the pandemic for their results this year? And both of their responses were exactly what I was thinking. If they complain it, why are Gonzaga and Baylor undefeated right now? <laughs> you exactly.
0: Know? That, that, that seems like a cop-out. Everybody is under the exact same circumstances.
1: Yeah. So, you know, whether or not that's played into it much is I think would be a, a, a tough debate topic if you are a Mike Shashevsky or, you know, a Tom Izzo. But, you know, if they want to make that case, if their fans want to make that case, feel free, I guess. Yeah, as far as college bluebloods go, you know, North Carolina, I think they're trending in the right direction as far as a, a probably a 10, maybe 11 seed with a little higher of a ceiling. And then, you know, obviously Kansas is going to make it. But outside of that, as far as the blue bloods go, I mean, there's a lot of indiscretion, you know, maybe Indiana sneaks in because they've got some big time wins over Iowa, but they're just so inconsistent.
0: Kansas has some good wins and, and, you know, I traditionally like grew up rooting for the Jayhawks, so you know, take this with a grain of salt, but I'm I'm not sure it's a guarantee that they're going to get in at this point. They have a pretty tough schedule down the stretch in terms of the teams they still have to face. They still got to play Texas Tech, Baylor, and Texas. I don't really see them winning any of those. I mean, and the, if they drop any of their other games, I mean, they're going to be in a weird spot. Kansas uh, here's here's why
1: I think Kansas is in a tough situation outside of just their strength of schedule, because yeah. So according to Ken Palm, their adjusted strength of schedule is ninth in the country. Obviously they're playing in the, uh, you know, the big 12, which may be a seven big league. So they've got tough opponents, but I think the problem is, is Kansas being a blue blood, being a perennial top program, they get lumped into the same conversation of failure as Duke and Michigan state in Kentucky And the problem is, is they're in two different brackets. Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State, they are all just not good basketball teams against any standards. It's not a, oh, they're not good compared to what their standards are normally. They're just not good basketball teams. Whereas Kansas, they're not as good as they normally are, but they're still a good basketball team. They're 25th in Kempom overall. They've got the 24th adjusted defense. I think they're 21st in the net right now. You know, they are seven and seven in quad one and quad two games, which is enough right now for them, in my opinion, to still be a four seed. But yeah, that that schedule down the line is going to be tough. But there is, unequivocally, I can say this with confidence, no chance that Kansas misses the tournament this year. They may not be ranked again the rest of the season in the AP poll, but this is still a solid basketball team that if they are a four or five seed, if you are a fan of a 12 seed, you are mortified. Because this is a better team than, you know, the
0: record indicates, in my humble opinion. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's pr- it was a little bit of an exaggeration saying there's a chance they could miss the tournament because they still have, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, four top 25 wins this season. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt. I just, watching them, I, I didn't really expect the, the loss of, you know, Azubuke to be quite so drastic. They just they don't have anyone that can stop some of these teams with great length you know and, and when, when they go up against you know the Baylors of the world it's just clear how big of a gap the, the difference in talent between these two rosters is right now and it, it's weird. I mean it, it's kind of intriguing even as somebody that you know roots for Kansas to, to do well traditionally. I think it's it's made the Big 12 a lot more intriguing just in terms of hey we finally got somebody else in here.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, while we're talking about the Big 12, you know, let, let's let kind of talk about some of the other teams in there, too. West Virginia right now, they're only two games back of Baylor. Now, I don't think anybody's catching Baylor as far as winning the conference. But no. I think that more so just says to, you know, what the Mountaineers have been able to do as far as kind of bouncing back. You know, they started hot and then they went through a bit of a lull in the middle of the season. But. They are five and one in their last six games. They've picked up wins against Texas tech, Kansas, Texas tech, again, you know, I think they're trending in a, in a great direction as far as really cementing themselves at the top. The good news for the Mountaineers as well, you know, good news, I guess is subjective, but more COVID problems in the Baylor bears program means both of their back to back games have been postponed. We're getting to the point in the season now where postponements may just mean cancellations because There is just not that much time in between to schedule games. Plus, you've got conference tournaments, question marks with those, and then a week turnaround before, you know, the the tournament starts. There is just not a lot of leeway here for postponements at this point.
0: It's going to be interesting. West Virginia only has four games left on the schedule. These next two against Oklahoma and Texas are going to kind of be, you know, what determines their season at this point. They're in contention. They still have a chance to finish second in the league. You know, like we said, nobody's gonna catch, you know, Baylor, it's it's their league at this point. It's like Trevor Lawrence going number one in the NFL draft. It's a foregone conclusion. But if you beat Oklahoma and Texas, I think the the conversation for for West Virginia to be a, you know, a maybe like a three seed. I mean, they're probably gonna jump back into the top ten at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: I think you know, they're sitting at 16 in net right now, uh, 16 in Campom as well. The interesting thing with West Virginia is, and we talked about it a lot, is how physical they are on defense, but they only have the 51st ranked adjusted defense. So, you know, what they're kind of
0: prided on is just not really come to fruition that much. It's just bully ball. Like, yeah. it's fun to watch, but it's not, it hasn't been all that effective.
1: Yeah, so, but but absolutely, I think they could get up to that. I, you mentioned Texas. Let's talk about the Longhorns, one in three in their last four, one in four in their last five. You know, I think, are, are you worried? Now, I will say their one game, the, uh, the loss to, I believe it was Oklahoma, I want to say, Texas had. Um, they were without some of their best players because of COVID. Um, they were without... Uh, it was Texas Tech, I'm sorry, and they were without Shaka Smart as well as three of their top eight scores. So that yeah, You one, can kind of throw that well, one out. That does, and yeah, they exactly. still only
0: lost by two.
1: Yep, but loss against, or I believe it was loss against Oklahoma, actually. I'm sorry, but loss against Baylor, loss against Oklahoma State. Um, Baylor was at home. Oklahoma State was on the road. Where, where are you at with Texas? Are you at all worried?
0: I'm not panicking at this point. It kind of feels like the low West Virginia had, you know, at this point, I kind of see West Virginia, Texas, Texas Tech. They're all kind of in that same conversation for me. I think they're all really good teams. I don't think any of them are great teams, and I think they all have, in particular, offensive flaws. But it, it, it's just going to be a fun finish to see like how they contend. Texas has been way better than I anticipated coming in. I can definitely say that. But they've got a lot more games to play down the stretch. I mean, they've got six compared to we just talked about. West Virginia only has four obviously covid could screw that up they've got to go to oklahoma again they've got to go to texas tech i mean that's that's pretty brutal even the game against kansas so they could they can really kind of certify themselves here as you know the second best team in the big 12 or they could kind of drop to that you know like number 4 number 5 range and then it's going to be kind of intriguing to see what is the national perception still yeah and and to that point texas i completely
1: agree and they are in that those teams with the kansas where i think they are going to probably lose more games than they should down this stretch just because of, of the sake of the Big 12, and they are going to get undervalued for their seed. And it's going to make some other teams really upset because they're going to get some very tough first and second
0: round matchups. It wouldn't surprise me if we ended up with three, even like four Big 12 teams in the Sweet 16 as... is. As- as much as Baylor has dominated it, a lot of these teams are really intriguing. I mean, we've, we've got really excited about Texas Tech on the last podcast. They're kind of up and down, but all of these teams have have a capable of making a run. Speaking of Texas Tech, though, did you see Chris Beard's freak out? Yes, I did. I love it.
1: Love it. I love the emotion. And I love, too, that kind of like right after, he brushed it off and goes down up, you know, huggy, like... He just—that was just his therapy. I think that was just he needed to get some things off his chest, and he knew he knew damn well that he was going to get tossed for it because there wasn't enough time left. He didn't care.
0: <laughs> you might as well get your money's worth. I will say, it's kind of hard to preach accountability and like getting mad at players for losing their composure, and then you know you're a head coach and you go and do something <laughs> like that. But I will never complain about a freakout because it's great entertainment, and that was the best. That was the best uh, basketball freakout we've had in, in quite some time. So I was oh, all about it. Is there anything else you want to talk about in the Big 12 before we move on to the Big 10?
1: No, not really. Just, you know, like you said, get a couple teams into the Big or the Sweet 16. I think it's possible because realistically, this is just going to be a numbers game for the Big 12 when it comes to tournament time. And six teams are a lock for me. The only difference is Oklahoma State. I think they're in firm position still just waiting on their ruling on the Cade Cunningham situation, whether or not they're actually going to be eligible. If I'm the NCAA, I don't know why I would not make them eligible this year because Cade Cunningham is one of the best players might be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. You want him in this tournament. So if I'm the NCAA, I'm delaying that decision until after the tournament. That being said, that means they'll probably announce it the day before selection Sunday uh, because that's just how the NCAA (laughs) operates
0: what a weird time between like them and Arizona and Auburn so many programs just with good players and, and you know, talented teams that, you know, probably aren't going to be in the NCAA tournament. Really, really odd. Uh, let's talk about the big 10 and it, it's been the best, you know, conference top to bottom and in, in basketball this year, but the top is kind of starting to separate itself from the rest at this point, Ohio state, they're, they're for real, man. That that Ohio State-Michigan game is going to be really, really intriguing. Maybe one of the best games of the entire season.
1: Yeah, and, you know, good for Michigan fans because they actually have a rivalry game where they'll be able to compete. You know, Wolverines haven't been relevant in football against the Buckeyes in years. But this is a year where you can get some revenge on the basketball court. Um, just looking at at the top three, I don't think it's the same top three we would have been projecting all season, you know. Wisconsin used to be one of one of the best, most consistent teams you thought, you know, they're inconsistent. Iowa is now at the point where they are in February, which is just their bugaboo, you know, and their head coach does not have a winning record in February. The Hawkeyes, again, they are an explosive team, but they cannot for the life of them cover anybody. Their defense is a revolving door, and that is a discount to the revolving door. So if you're a (laughs) Hawkeyes fan, I think you'll be able to win a game in March. I do, because I think at the rate that they're going, they're going to drop enough games where they flirt with the 4-5 or line. And when you're playing a 12-seed or a 13-seed, it is highly unlikely that you will face an offense that can keep pace. So I think you are still guaranteed a first-round win but your outlook on this season has dramatically changed in the last couple of weeks because you don't have the defense to cover anybody. So once you enter that second round, I'm not confident they can pick up two two wins to make the sweet 16. I'm not confident they can make the sweet 16 or the elite 8 or anywhere after that because they just have not shown the ability to play the defense that's necessary. I mean, not even defense that is good. You know, we're not really talking about Tennessee, okay? Iowa, for, for comparison, in case, you know, for those of you who think I'm just, you know, hating on the Hawkeyes, they're first in adjusted offense right now. They're fifth in Ken They're first in adjusted offense. They are 120th in adjusted defense. So for those of you who don't know what those numbers mean, those adjusted stats are stating how many points do you score or def- or allow for offense and defense per 100 possessions takes out shot percentage takes out turnovers all that stuff doesn't matter just in 100 possessions how many points are you going to score so i Iowa can score with the best of them but even mediocre offenses are going to be able to keep pace and we've seen that in recent weeks allowing two wins to indiana it's just you just can't do that if you want to be credited as one of the best teams in the country so at this point They're not top 10 worthy. I think they're really sitting at the four line.
0: It's interesting because Luca Garza is going to win national player of the year. And so I guess you can hang your hat on that. If you're Iowa, I'd, I'd still be worried. I mean, if you get a, if you get a sneaky enough 12 seed coming in against you, if they had to play a shoot, I mean, any of these teams out of the mountain West, like let's say San Diego state or something like that. I mean, the Aztecs, they're physical. They could really, you know, make it hard on them. And, it's going to be intriguing. I just, they lack toughness. My good friend, Eli Betker, he's one of the really good national uh, basketball digital media guys. Follow him on Twitter if you don't. But, but even before the season, you know, everyone's in love with Iowa. I had him in, I think, number two or number three. Eli, from the get-go, was like, nah, they're not for real. I was like, what? And he's like, you'll see. And sure as shit, it's played out that way. Shout out Eli. He knew he knew from the get go. They might win one game, but they're not real title contenders at this point. I feel pretty confident in saying that. Michigan or Ohio State, they they could be you know one of those teams along with Alabama. Um, God, I don't know Villanova. Some of these teams, you know, that in the conversation, I guess for that third team in the country, because right now it's Baylor, Gonzaga, and then kind of everybody else.
1: Yeah, I think both Michigan and Ohio State are up there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think Villanova's up there, and yeah, Alabama's in there. Also, you know, shout out to the Fighting Illini—they're on a four-game win streak right now. Really Illinois, strong. Yeah, they, they they started off hot. You know, they started off with a lot of recognition. Had that tough loss to Baylor, and then they lost again to Missouri and Rutgers, and it's you know you start to feel like the wheels are falling off. They dropped one to Maryland, but like I said, they're on a four-game win streak. They've beaten Iowa, Indiana, and Wisconsin. They also have a win over Penn State. Penn State is a sub 500 team, but that's just because of the conference that they play in. Metrics love them. I think they're 30, uh, they're they're 29th in Kempom, around 30th in net. So Metrics love them. That's definitely still a good win. Now they've got Michigan. No, I'm sorry, Michigan game was postponed. So they've actually got Nebraska, Wisconsin. Those you should be able to rattle off a couple more wins. Illinois may also have a, a right to a, fo- uh, to a one seed. Just kind of depends on who really takes charge, but would not be surprised in the slightest if you saw two big teams be a one seed on opposite ends of the bracket.
0: Yeah, there are people that are going to be upset about it, and, and I understand that. But like we've said, it's, it's consistently been the best conference in basketball. Top to bottom, it's just a brutal, brutal slate you can't really hold some of these losses even against the great teams because it's just bound to happen. Like, yes, I guess Baylor deserves credit because they're doing it in a major conference. But you know, other than them, it, it's, I'm not, nobody's that surprised that Gonzaga is, you know, running the table. If somebody were to have run the table in the big 10 this year, it would have been shocking. Like that's how deep it is. It's just, it's too strong. Here's
1: my, here's my question for you. And this is in, in kind of pivoting back to the big 12, but I'm curious. Do you still think Gonzaga should be the number one overall seed in the tournament? I don't think they're going to lose their spot in the AP poll if they don't lose. But should they be the number one, number one?
0: Uh, Baylor's going to have a really strong case. If they win out, it's going to be hard, I think, to go against Baylor. And I think Baylor will ultimately leapfrog them and be the number one. I mean, there's no shame in being the number two seed in the entire tournament. But, <laughs> no, absolutely,
1: um, and yeah, that is under the assumption. I think I got to go Baylor, Baylor. It is under the assumption that Baylor wins out because they are going to, with that assumption, pick up another quad one win at Kansas, and they had so many postponements. It's tough to know how many more games they played, but right now, Baylor is eight zero in quad one and quad two games. Gonzaga is ten and zero in quad one and quad two games. Oh, so, yeah. well, interesting. Yeah, so it is close for right now, but yeah, under the assumption that both teams win out, I do agree. I think Baylor squeezes in and gets that one seed, depending on how many more games they play. But um, it's just yeah. that
0: difference in league play, you know. And and I and I hate to use that against Gonzaga because that's the type of stuff that's going to like result in the Mountain West only getting two teams in the tournament when they should get three or four. But the just the reality is the WCC. It's it's you know not it's not the Big East. It's not the Mountain West. It's not the A ten. It's, it's just not that strong of a league. Yeah. And, and speaking of the big East,
1: let's take a look, you know, not, not a lot has changed over the last week. Still Villanova and Creighton kind of in the driver's seat for, for those two to be a, a, for the two bids. And then you look at, you know, who's the third team that can come out. St. John's, they were on a great run, but they dropped a game that they just, they really could not afford to lose that game to Butler because they've still got Xavier Villanova and Seton Hall. So they really needed that win against Butler with that loss. I think it does cement for me the fact that I don't think St. John's is going to be on the right side of the bubble. I think they're close. but I don't think they're going to make it um, kind of for me between Xavier and Seton Hall. Seton Hall has a bigger sample size, uh, but the same amount of wins. So it's it's kind of up to their discretion as far as who gets in between the Musketeers and Seton Hall, where are you at with the Big East? Uh, you know, because obviously Villanova and Creighton are locks. Who do you think is going to be that 13?
0: I tend to lean Xavier right now. I just think I trust them a little bit more. I'm not even sure I can articulate why. I mean, they've been basically just as inconsistent as St. John's has, but they just they feel a little bit more secure to me. I like the build of their roster. I don't know. It's It's kind of disappointing because I a couple of weeks ago, I really thought there was a chance that the Big East could be a four bid league. I think it's going to be three, but even then, it's it's really not a guarantee. I got to pull up Xavier's remaining schedule here and see who they've got down the stretch. But I just I don't really see anybody, even Creighton, contending with Villanova at this point. Yeah, and coming
1: up for them, they've got UConn, St. John's, Butler, Providence, Creighton, Georgetown, and Marquette. Quite frankly, all of those are winnable games. The only one that I think they probably will take a loss on is Creighton because Creighton is a better basketball team. But other than that, I think they'll win out. They um, have reference, to, I think. Oh, they ha- yeah, well, yeah, exactly. They have to if they want to make this tournament and, and be a decent seed. For reference in the rankings, Xavier sitting at 32 in the net. They are 5-2 and two in quad one and quad two games. Seton Hall is 46th in the net. And they are 6-7 and seven in quad one and quad two games. You really want to be above 500 between those two quadrants. Um, but interesting, the rankings are flipped And Ken Palm. Ken Palm really likes Seton Hall more. Uh, 15th rated offense, but 90th rated defense. They sit at 31st. But then when you go to Xavier, 45th ranked, they are more balanced. 42 on offense, 58 on defense. So with Seton Hall, I guess they, you know, Ken Palm, the computers think they've got a higher upside as far as offensive goes. But Xavier is a more balanced team. I think they're pretty close and I do just think it's going to end up who finishes strong in that stretch. Um, unfortunately, they don't have any more head to head games late that my you know, committee might be able to rely on because their head to head game. I'm trying to find it in here was postponed their last one, December 30th, Seton yeah. Hall won 85 So you could say Seton Hall has the head to head advantage, but quite frankly, December is not really relevant at this point.
0: The thing is, is, it, it wasn't just a loss. They beat them 85-68. to 68. And that's, you know, they kind of really have that, you know, it wasn't like a close game. They beat the hell out of them, but I don't know. I just like Fremantle, and I like Scruggs. I like their roster. I, I think Xavier pulls it out down the stretch when it's all said and done. I haven't gotten to watch as much Big East over the last like week or two as, as I would hope to because a lot of times it is like leading up to Mountain West games, and I'm like doing pregame or radio or stuff, but I am. I'm looking forward to it. I I think it's one of the more fun leagues. I mean, um, I will say how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I will say I'm. T- I put my money on Seton Hall. They're making the tournament. Whether that means they are the third team out of the Big East or the fourth team out of the Big East, I do still think four teams could be possible, especially if both Xavier and Seton Hall win out. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my money on
0: the Pirates. I like it. We finally have a point of contention. <laughs> yeah, we need more of that. I know. Let's go to the ACC. Yeah, they're 10 and 1. They've won 3 straight. You know what you know what I like about them? They're the only team in the league right now in the top half of the ACC with a winning record on the road. A lot of these teams are winning at home, but you you have to be able to w- win away from home to make a run and and they're starting to figure it out a little bit offensively. That was obviously always the big question with Virginia. Are they going to be able to score enough points? They're still, you know, not a sexy team on offense. They aren't ever going to be under Tony Bennett. But I I think they're far and away the best team in the league at this point.
1: Absolutely, and I think Virginia is, and it's hard to say because they're still technically the defending you know national champs. I think Virginia also has a sneaky case to come in as as a one seed. They are you know they're sixth in the AP right now, but Ken Palm has them the ninth rated team. What I love about Virginia is their balance: sixteenth rated defense, thirteenth rated offense. They're just thirteenth
0: rated it- offense, really. <laughs>
1: It's, it's incredible. They're doing it so well on both ends of the floor. And then they are uh, the ninth-rated team in the net, or I'm sorry, sixth-rated team in the net, winning record quad one, quad two. They are eight and three amongst those two quadrants. This is a team that I don't think has a lot of national noise, but it's actually very, very good. So when Virginia ends up as a two-seed or even maybe a high two-seed or a one-seed, I think nobody's going to pick them they may be a, a very good bet when you're making your bracket as far as picking somebody that's not named Gonzaga or Baylor. Because look, Gonzaga Baylor, they're going to be on opposite ends of the bracket and probably 70% of your pool is going to pick one of the two. So Virginia might be one of those teams where you don't have to pick a 12 seed to try and upset your, your group or your pool, but you know they might be able to actually win you some money.
0: I love that you brought that up. And the thing about Virginia and I literally am coming to this realization right now. They play so slow, I guess, you know, you don't really think of them as, as a, you know, a great offensive team, but the metrics obviously pointed out they're kind of like the anti-Alabama in a sense that Alabama plays so freaking fast, you don't realize how good of a team they are defensively. There's just so many possessions. Teams are going to score some points against Alabama because there's so many possessions between the two teams. Virginia, it's kind of the opposite. You know, they're they're not going to score a ton of points, but they're making the most of the possessions that they have.
1: Yeah, they have, for reference, the 347th ranked pace of play. But, That's insane. But the 13th rated offense. I mean, that is there's something to be said for that. They're, you know, shooting almost 50% from the floor. They're 10th in three-point shooting percentage, and they are second in the country in free throw percentage. So...
0: Waller' pace is your slow. your guys. I, yes. I love it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Just, just, I'm rooting for Virginia now. Just like in the last five minutes, I've come around. I'm like, I'm in on Virginia. Yeah, you know what? I, I kind of too. I've talked myself into
1: them as as maybe a dark horse for that fourth number one seed. I mean, they're good on paper. They're fourteen and three. They're undefeated at home. Five and one on the road. There's a lot to like about this Cavs team, and that's saying something from the ACC because if you look down the rest of the the rest of the conference there's not a whole lot that really gets you excited you know obviously Florida State is having a good season Virginia Tech is having a good season as well but they they're just inconsistent again
0: The are hard to to really Pitt, buy into
1: yeah lost to Pitt and lost to Syracuse are just two that it's their games you should win but you lost and that's, that's just, it hurts people when they want to buy in, you know, if I, if I want to buy into the Hokies, how can I do that? If you can beat the orange when the orange aren't relevant this season, um, you know, and then you've got Louisville and North Carolina, both of them, again, they're having solid seasons, nothing that's going to get you excited, but they'll probably be tournament teams. Last one. I'll touch on Clemson 12 and five. They've bounced back fairly well after Virginia destroyed them. Um, and, and Virginia sent this plane into a tailspin, but you know they picked up two games, one against North Carolina, another one against Syracuse. So they've gotten themselves back on track. Should still make the tournament, but they are not the same Clemson team of several weeks ago with the number one rated defense. They have they've fallen apart in that department.
0: And Duke is still dead. We're not even gonna we're not even gonna give them enough respect to talk about them because that's they're not a tournament team. They are not a tournament team. UFC 257 surely gave the fans the show they were looking for and this weekend is sure to be just as action-packed. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 100-1 odds on your chosen fighter to step out of the octagon and raise that belt. All you gotta do is pick either fighter in the main event in this weekend's UFC 258 bout and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100-1 odds. That's a $1 bet and you can cash a cool $100 if your fighter wins. Talk about easy money. At the end of the day, there's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. And don't worry, if MMA is not for you, DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, football, so much more. It's safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. I do this all the time. You know, if you've got a sure bet, great way to pay pay for date night. You got Valentine's Day coming up, guys. Gotta think smarter. Place those units responsibly. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR when you sign up and turn $1 into $100 if your chosen fighter wins this weekend. Place your bet and watch the fist fly. It's going to be a blast. Again, that code DNVR to turn $1 into $100 on Saturday's main event. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado-only restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We brought you damn good beer, and now we're delivering to you damn good beef. Hassel Cattle Company is the absolute best source for farm-to-table Wagyu beef in the country. Hassle Cattle Company is a fourth-generation cattle farm out of Texas they ship all over the beautiful U.S. of A. straight to your door. They call their beef the Blue Collar Wagyu. Why? Because it's the best damn Wagyu that every man or woman can afford. Hassle Cattle Company offers Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon, Wagyu frank without any fillers, two jerky flavors, original sweet and spicy, and their Hamburger One Food Network's Best Northeast Burger Jam. That's big time, baby not only do we love their beef, the country loves their beef. These guys have taken their registered bulls and breeds and Angus cows, giving you the very high prime product that is grown with zero antibiotics, zero hormones. Head to Hassle Cattle Company right now. That's H-A-S-S-E-L-L cattlecompany.com. Use the promo code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. Again, that's DNVR10 for 10% off your order at hasslecattlecompany.com. Check them out. We promise you will not be disappointed. Let's talk about the SEC. We were we were drooling over Alabama last week, and inevitably they finally lost a game. It it had to happen. You know, we're talking about how they're running away with it; nobody can keep up with them. Then they they kind of were, they were getting blown out for a little bit. They made it a game, but I just I love this team, man. They got a three game lead over Tennessee, Arkansas, and LSU. I, I I already brought it up, I guess, when we were talking about Virginia, which was unintentional, but. They play so fast. Like there are two teams in the top ten in Ken Palm that are also in the top ten in adjusted tempo. It's Gonzaga and Alabama. These two teams just come at you, and and as as much as you know, we just talked about Virginia and defense. And I mean Alabama, when you look at adjusted defense right now, they're they're absolutely killing it. I believe they're number one in the country in Ken Palm. Um, So it's just. I don't. I don't know how you keep up with a team like this—a team that can score at such a lethal pace. They drop threes. They get to the rim, and they play defense. They—they just feel like one of those teams that if they went up against a a Gonzaga or a Baylor, they might be able to just outlast them. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. You know, they're they're a fun team to watch, and that makes them easy to root for. And and that's funny to say because it's not normally easy to root for the Crimson Tide, but this year I think. Alabama has a legitimate case to reach the final four in both football and basketball. You know, obviously, college football playoff, nobody refers to it as the final four. And an interesting side note, you know, making the final four in college basketball is a crowning achievement. That can make a career. But making a college football playoff is, you know, everybody rags on Notre Dame being the four team. And you know what? I hate Notre Dame. So I'm not really going to defend them in that aspect. But the point is, is still being, you know, one of the final four teams alive, that is still a really big achievement. Alabama definitely has a case to do it. That loss against Missouri, the reason I don't really hold any stock in it at all is exactly why you, is exactly what you said when you brought it up. They were getting destroyed. Through 33 minutes of play, that game was over. And then Alabama made it not over. Now, they still end up losing by three, but they stormed back. They went on a 21-2 run, and that shows that they can flip that switch in an instant. And for me, when I'm trying to grade basketball teams, it's great to see teams undefeated because obviously they're doing it wrong. You know, Baylor and Gonzaga, I'm not going to hold anything against them for not losing. That would be hysterical. But when I look at teams that have losses, I want to see how they did in those losses. For example, you know, Bus fans, you know, they blew a 19-point lead to Utah. That's not a good loss. If it were the opposite and they came back from 19 down to only lose by three and made it a competitive game, it wasn't like a backdoor cover, that shows something. That's what Alabama did. They made this game competitive and they just showed that they can flip the switch, which is just things you want to see in a team before March because really none of this matters. You just have to get in. And once you go dancing, you never know who you're going to run into
0: you know if you're going if you're going to make a run to the final four you're going to have to very likely play from behind at some point hopefully not you know to the extent that they were in that Missouri game where it was like whoa what is, this is not even looking like the same Alabama team but like you said when it really mattered they were able to flip the game make it interesting at least they have a really favorable schedule down the stretch i mean they're going to be favored in literally every game that auburn won to end the season could be kind of tricky you know they could be trying to play spoilers but at this point with the lead they have in the sec i don't really see them giving it up especially with who they have to play down the stretch i'm kind of curious though who is who do you see as the second best team in the sec right now do you see it you know as missouri who's probably a little bit more potent offensively tennessee who seems to have rebounded a little bit you know they obviously have the defense i kind of like arkansas man they're five and one over their last six I love their guard combo. I I don't know, man. I just I think they could be a fun team. Moses Moody, that dude's for real. Yeah, you know, it is a
1: complete crapshoot in the SEC for the second spot. You know, you've got Tennessee, Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, Florida. I, look, start, Let's start with Missouri. They are a team that is so different than a lot of other teams because their resume is very good. But the metrics hate them. 34th in net, 40th in Ken Palm. And they took a horrible loss last night. They got beat by 21 points to Ole Miss. That topped up 11 spots in the net. That one's going to hurt them. But the loss to Auburn's not really all that bad. Lost to Mississippi State, you probably should have had that one. And then they lost to Tennessee, which it is what it is. So Missouri, I think they've got a strong resume. But for some reason, the computers don't like them. And... You have to believe that the net is going to be what the selection committee, you know, kind of leans on when in doubt, when you're, when you're having trouble filing a team, because that's supposed to be their metric. So I do think Tennessee ends up being the second team out of the SEC, but it's not with a whole lot of confidence. SEC also lost to Ole Miss. That one was only by two, at least they just are so bad on offense. It is so, so hard to watch. I mean, they are, they're 12th in the Ken Palm rankings right now. The 62nd rated offense, but the second rated defense. So it's just, it's one of those teams that doesn't have any balance. You look at the next rated defensive team, Alabama has the first rated defense and the 35th rated offense. The difference is Alabama's offensive rating does not do it justice to watch them play. Tennessee's offensive ranking looks to be tremendously too high. If you would have told me they have the worst rated offense in the, and, and, and Power 5 schools, for example, I really would believe it. And, you know, just going back on, two, talking about that Seton Hall beat over Xavier in December, the reason I don't really put a whole lot of stock into that is because Tennessee beat Colorado in December, 57 to, or no, it was like 49, I don't know, it was in the 50s, 40s. It was an awful game, awful offensive game. You put those two teams against each other right now, I do think Colorado wins because they are a better basketball team. Right now, the Buffs are better than the Volts, in my opinion. But so, you know, that just ties a on that point. I think Tennessee, they are right now riding on the coattails of their off-season hype because they brought back some good players and brought in two five-star freshmen. The problem is, is those two five-star freshmen just haven't been able to produce offensively as consistently as they would like. And that's why they're they're sitting kind of in that tweener team.
0: Yeah, Tennessee's one of those teams where it's, yeah, I could see them winning a tournament game or two, sliding into the Sweet 16, even the Elite Eight, just because they're so good defensively that they're going to make it hard on you. I just don't think they can knock down shots well enough to compete with most of these legitimate title contenders. I mean, we talked about Virginia, you know, who's deceptively, they play slow. It's not fun to watch, but they're efficient. Tennessee's offense is not fun to watch and they suck. Like it's, it's just a lose, lose situation. I don't, I don't see them coming together down the stretch. Like I said, Arkansas, they've been inconsistent, but I like the way that they can score. And I, I just like teams that can score. I like that. They're a little bit more versatile. They had some really bad losses down the stretch, but they kind of feel like one of those teams that are that are coming together at the right moment. But I, I'm also a Muscleman fan, so I might be buying in a little bit too much because I, I want them to do well. You know, honestly, I'm not ready to buy into Arkansas just
1: yet because their closing schedule is it's brutal. brutal. You go at Missouri, home versus Florida, at AM, home versus Bama and LSU, and then you finish the season at South Carolina. I mean, you're facing... Four, I mean, those realistically could be four losses to Missouri, Florida, Bama, and LSU. And this still is a good team. But what they do in the month of February is really going to tell a big story. If they can split those series, uh, because actually, you know, they should probably go two and two or three and one if they really want to compete because you do get three of these games at home. It's going to be a test. I, I want to buy in two. I think it'd be fun to have Arkansas in the tournament as a high seed but just need to see them do it consistently against some some better competition.
0: Agreed. I mean you pretty much hit the nail on the head right there. Let's uh, let's move on to the Pac-12 and the Mountain West, which is obviously near and dear to our hearts. Uh not everybody across the country loves to watch this stuff. We do though. I will say you had me all bought in on UCLA. And then they lost me a bunch of money, man. They absolutely let me down. They were the final leg of one of my parlays. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm about to buy myself a dinner here. They got their asses kicked, dude. USC, they've looked really strong lately. Evan Mobley, I mean, they're they are going to be an interesting team come tournament time. Yeah, I. that was a beatdown that I don't... I I don't know anybody would
1: have projected that bad. You know, some people might have said USC would win, but by 18 points, I, that's just insane. USC is the highest-rated team in the pack, and Ken Palm, 24th in offense, 13th in defense. They just have, I mean, they have, uh, he's a player of the year in Evan Mobley for the conference. I think he's an All-American. The kid is special. Oh, yeah.
0: he's, and, he's, I put in my notes, he's a freak.
1: Yeah. 16 points, almost 10 rebounds at nine. He's shooting 60% from the floor. He's averaging almost three blocks a game. There's just so much to like about this Trojans team. They have a lot of ways to beat you. You know, they're not really going to break the doors off offensively as far as scoring goes. But they're, again, they're they're an efficient team. Their pace is very slow. They're kind of like Virginia. But... They, they do they, they do well scoring, and that's because they've got these guys with the Mobley brothers that they can rely on to generate shots and to generate high-percentage looks. And then conversing on the defensive end, I mean, if you've got a guy averaging three blocks on his own, your defense is going to be doing very well because uh, you know, the things that you don't record other than blocks, I mean, you don't record – the the pressuring of a shot, you know, you don't record getting them off their spot and forcing a bad look. That stuff that doesn't pop up in the stat sheet, but their rim protection is just on a different level.
0: You just completely change the flow of the game. It's kind of like Niemus Keda at Utah State. He's, he's it's just in a, a giant eraser for any mistakes that you might have. Oh, somebody gets beat on the drive? Doesn't matter. Here comes Niemus Keda to just erase your mistake. Mobley's that same way. He's just. He's efficient on offense. He sees the floor well. He picks his times to attack the rim. I, I like this USC team, and it pains me because I don't ever want to root for USC. They're, they're a fun team to follow. I think they ultimately are probably my number one team in the Pac-12 right now. I mean, I, 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 obviously, they're tied with UCLA, but after that win, I think you kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt. The team that I really want to get your perspective on, though, is Stanford because I think they're better than just about everybody realizes. They've had to play under some weird circumstances. They're finally getting healthy. Where do you see Stanford finishing down the stretch?
1: I, I do think that they they can end up as a four seed or not a four seed. Excuse me, four in the in the conference. Um, I just don't see them getting much higher than that because they just are are inconsistent. They're eight and five in the conference, twelve and seven on the season. And the problem is they, they just can't string it together consistently. They pick up wins against UCLA and Arizona, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're rolling. And then they lose to Arizona State and USC. And then they beat Cal twice. So it's like, where are you relying on? You know, they've got good wins, but they've also got some tough losses. And that's what's going to hurt them. I think they're a tournament team for sure. I think the Pac-12 is pretty much a lock to send five teams at this point. But I do think Stanford sits on the lower tier of that. With Oregon just because they haven't been consistently good against good players. That being said, when you have a guy like Oscar Da Silva, it helps because that, you know, that's gonna be a tiebreaker for some teams, is who's your best player? You know, do you have somebody that you can lean on in March that's gonna make you competitive? But for Stanford, they have some chances late in the season to prove themselves in and get themselves back in. They've got a game against Colorado later today. They go on the road to USC and then they're home against Oregon. Those are three games that can really put them back into the conversation is maybe a top three seed in this conference.
0: I think there's a good chance Stanford goes on a run here. I'm just going to put that on record. I think being away from home for as long as they were needs to be you know, factored into the equation. I'm not trying to make excuses for them. I think that's just natural. I think it's a tough position. We're seeing a program in New Mexico in the Mountain West traditionally I mean, they've struggled the last couple of years, but traditionally one of the better programs in the league, they were there in a similar situation. They pretty much crumbled Stanford. They've managed to kind of stay afloat. They're just, they're not a team I'd want to face in the tournament. I'll just say that they're, they're not a team. I like to Silva. They're sneaky. Who else do you want to talk about in the PAC 12? Obviously, you know, you get plenty of buffs talk on the, uh, the buffs pod, but for my Rams listeners, what does CU need to do down the stretch? I mean, they they, they just – CU just does not
1: have a whole whole high margin for error. They've got six games left. They are now in the, the home stretch of games at Stanford, at Cal, at Oregon, at Oregon State, and then home versus USC and UCLA. For this final stretch of six games, I think they need to be at least 500 at three and three. I think they should probably go, try and strive for 500 in each stretch. You know – lose to Stanford, beat Cal. If you lose to Oregon, beat Oregon State. If you lose to USC, beat UCLA. At least that should be the bare minimum because if they do that, they'll finish top four in the conference and they'll probably stay on track to be a seven or an eight seed. But I don't think you should be looking to set the bar for this team as a floor because I think, I think they're capable of more. It's just whether or not they can put it together and actually finish. Look, last season, this team lost their final five games and they went in a tailspin. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows the story. How did they do this year? This isn't a similar situation where they were competitive last year and they're only a half or one and a half game back of the LA schools for first. Winning this conference is still very much in play if they play up to their standards. But to do that, you have to go through every single hard opponent. You know, this isn't like a, a situation in the Big East where Creighton, you know, they they only have one tough game remaining. Colorado's got arguably four or five games out of their next six that are tough. So it's going to be tough for the Buffs. I think they're capable, but after last season's collapse, it's hard to believe in it fully. You know, it's kind of like if you look back in April and say, oh, they went four and two in their last six and they ended up being a six seed. You say, okay, you know, clap, clap, clap. Good for them. But for right now, it's, it's tough to buy in fully to that level.
0: I think fair or not, your reputation is all you have. Colorado has the reputation of being a talented team over the last couple of years that hasn't been able to finish. They have an opportunity. I I think this team with McKinley Wright is as good as USC, as good as UCLA, as good as any team in the Pac twelve. They just they gotta finish, you know? Will they? I mean, I we'll see. That that's a brutal way to finish the schedule in terms of you know, I cover CSU. CSU, they've made it through their brutal stretch. The trip to Nevada is going to be tough for them, but you know, they they get to basically close the season out here against teams that they're going to be favored in every single matchup now. The Rams might end up adding an opponent because they just lost two games against New Mexico. Doesn't look like those are going to get rescheduled. They very well might. But, you know, it's a similar deal. Both of these teams, they they have talent. Can they finish? The leagues are, wet, are with, well within reach, especially for the Rams. They got to go go and take it. Go and prove yep. themselves.
1: Yeah, and honestly, if, if you're a player, this is a great position to be in, you know, because you, you're not, you don't have the pressure of defending the crown. You know, you have the excitement of chasing Totally. And, and now, you know, if you're a coach, this is what you do. You know, you just write, you know, Pac-12 champions on a piece of paper and you pin it to your bulletin board and say, somebody go grab it, somebody go get it, show that you want it, show that you have the ability to go and take it. They can't, you know, finishing for the boss, it's not just on, on a season. It's on a game-by-game schedule too. So if you're killing an opponent finish, put your th- put your foot on their throat and just, you know, be aggressive, be nasty with it because they just need to build that reputation because you're right. That reputation could be the difference for if if Colorado ends up on the bubble next season, you know? That reputation could be the difference between first four in and first four out. For this year, I don't think it's going to get to that point. I think they're all but a tournament lock. But where do they fall? You know, do they end up as a 10 or an 11 seed? Or can you jump up to a 6 seed? You know, if this team wins out, and I, for the record, I'm not projecting that. But if they go 6-0 and and even pick up one win in the tournament, I mean, that puts their record at 22-6. and And they would still probably, you know, with that, not even probably, they would still be top 15 in that top 15 in Camp Palm, this realistically could end up being a four or five seed. If all things go well. Now, again, I'm not saying that it will, because I think that's grossly overoptimistic, but the point is, is it's possible. And so if you're Tad Boyle, you go tell your players, that's still on the table. Let's run this thing. And let's, you know, let's shock the world. It's absolutely possible for the boss. It's all within their grasp real quick. As we wrap up the PAC 12, My money is still on UCLA to win it all. I think that win for USC was fantastic. I think the Trojans are a great basketball team. The good news is they will play each other again at the end of the season to close out Pac-12 play. That is a must-watch because that very well could be winner wins it all, and that is something I'm excited for. UCLA... They really don't have a whole lot of tough games left on their schedule. They play versus Arizona at home. They do go on the road to Colorado, but historically, they play very well against the Buffs, and then again, they finish at USC. By the time March rolls around, their destiny could still be in their own hands.
0: I wanted to bring up real quick before we flip over to the Mountain West. On the last podcast, we kind of talked about how as exciting as the matchup would be, Neither of us would prefer a scenario where Colorado State and Colorado face each other in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Jerry Palm woke up and chose violence, man. He chose to seed Colorado State as an 8, Colorado as a 9, playing each other in the in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. Look, man, I'm obviously that would be crazy crazy drama, you know, at the, the DNVR bar would be split in ways that would be hard to watch the game together. Ah, but that it would be entertaining. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of torn. I've come around to like, yeah, I'd be really into it. But ultimately, I think both of these teams are talented enough to, to make a run. And so I just hate the prospect of them spoiling each other's opportunity right off the bat. Who, were, who was the one seed in that scenario? I don't know. I got to go back and look. I'd be curious because
1: I, if, if they're an eight, look, if either of these teams are eight or a nine, I'm still not happy because that is just so tough. I, you know, growing up in Cincinnati, the Bearcats played Purdue one year as an eight and a nine matchup. And it was a fantastic basketball game, went into overtime. Uh, Troy Copain hit a buzzer beater. It was fantastic.
0: And then the next, you know, two nights later, you know, the winning to prize Kentucky. is a one seed. Yeah, and and we had to play Kentucky, and it was like, well, okay, like this was a fun night. I believe but. I believe it was in Gonzaga's region, but I'd have to double check. Oh, your god! Could Which you yes, yeah, so, exactly. It's that would totally suck for that reason. You know, if you're, if you're a team like CSU or CU, I would really think this could factor in either way. You'd almost rather be like a seven or a ten seed than the eight or the nine, just for how the it plays out. At least you get. I mean, you're still gonna have to play a top team no matter what, but. At least you don't get the one seed if you manage to get a yeah. win. Because the one seed is almost, om- it's as close to unbeatable as
1: possible. But a two or a three, this year. But the per- yeah, but the percentage is, you know, they actually do go in your favor quite a bit. I think this is also a year where if you're a team like Colorado State or even Colorado, I haven't seen any projections with Colorado, but I've seen a few with Colorado State, with a play-in game, I think you like that just because... That means you could potentially pick up two wins in the tournament as opposed to just one. You know, if I'd rather be a 12 in a play-in game or an eight straight up, I almost think I'd rather be a 12 because if I'm a 12 seed, I think the play-in game is a lock. And then 12-5 upsets, there's almost two out of four every year. So the odds are really in your favor in that regard to pick up a couple couple wins and, and move up. You know, with that being said, I think it would be best if Colorado and Colorado State were both on just opposite ends of the bracket and they play each other in the Final Four. Maybe you know, top and bottom play each other in the Elite Eight. Um, it, if they play each other in the first round, it's something that I think we'll talk ourselves into because it will be a great matchup and it will be fantastic content for us. But I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think it'd be more fun to see both teams go on a run.
0: I just I think they're both capable. And I know like CSU fans are listening. They're like, you know, screw the Buffs. Like let's upset them and ruin their tournament. The Buffs fans are thinking the exact same thing. But ultimately, if we want the perception of college basketball in Colorado as a whole to be elevated, both programs being successful and going on runs, that's good for us. Like we're not in the same league. So it's not, you know, like a Texas Oklahoma situation where each other's success is detrimental to the other. The yeah. rivalry is great. Hate each other when they play each other. But ultimately, we want both of these programs to move forward because that's what's best. Um, we don't have a ton of time left here, but just quickly with the Mountain West. Look, man, the, the league is there for the taking for CSU. Boise State just dropped a pair of games on the road at Nevada. And CSU still has to go to Nevada, so I need to you know bring that up. It's going to be a really tough trip. But the margin for error for Boise State at this point is just brutal. They've got a really tough series against UNLV that starts. After that, they've got Utah State and San Diego State. So, I just don't see them running the the table with with their remaining schedule at this point. It's possible Utah State they're going to try and you know kind of hold on here. CSU it's it's there for them. It's just unfortunate that they lose a chance to pick up two wins over New Mexico.
1: Yeah, you know we talked about last week with Boise State being in first place and you know we said it like they have the worst schedule out of anybody else remaining They cannot afford to lose an entire series and they go out there and drop both games at Nevada look Nevada's a good basketball team but if you are trying to win the conference losing back-to-backs is just detrimental so yeah you're absolutely right at this point they really need to win out especially because They desperately need to win that series against Utah State to get themselves back in this. And yeah, if you're Colorado State, you're feeling great. You're feeling fantastic. The problem is, like you mentioned, this is where COVID really hurts. Not because of, you know, obviously New Mexico and that program is hurting, but because those are two conference games now that, again, you just might not get to play, period. And that hurts when you're right in the running for it. But the good news for the Rams are, is added twice and then you're home against air force you go four and zero in that stretch that just might be enough it just might be enough even if you go three and one in that stretch that still just might be enough to propel yourself forward and at this point i think you're kind of hoping boise state turns around and and, and um completes the sweep at utah state because then it's just a complete hull of blue and you're sitting there not having to face either of them
0: yeah, I mean, right now, if you're if you're Utah State, you have a one-game lead sitting at 11-2 in the league. Right behind them is Colorado State at 11-3. They have splits already against Utah State, Boise State, and San Diego State, the, the top four teams. You got to be feeling good. I mean, even San Diego State sitting there at 9-3, if they sweep Boise State, you know, depending on what Boise State does to Utah State, if CSU drops a game, like, they could sneakily still come up and end up finishing in the top one or two it's been a really fun season guys. Like I understand that it sucks that fans haven't been able to be in the stands and it's really changed the atmosphere. And I actually, I wrote a column on how much I enjoyed being in the stands up in Laramie just because it literally been a year, but it's been great basketball. And I'm, I'm just really appreciative of the players and the coaches. I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. I'm not trying to be corny or anything like that, but you know, ultimately, these guys, they've had to sacrifice quite a bit. They didn't get to, you know, be typical college students and have that experience. They, you know, did what they did to, to make this work. And for people like me that just live and die for college basketball, I'm about it. And I'm so freaking stoked that we have the NCAA tournament this year. Let's, uh, real quick, before we go, we're about to wrap up. Let's just kind of run through a couple of games that we're excited about this weekend uh, into Monday. Really good day on Saturday. Not as much on Sunday. I guess the the schedulers, they were thinking, you know, people, they got to pay attention to their loved ones on Valentine's Day. Fine. It is what it is. Uh, But Saturday, you know, starting Saturday morning, number 22, Loyola Chicago at Drake. That is a great game between mid-majors. Drake, they finally lost one. They have a chance to kind of prove themselves here with this two-game homestand against a top 25 team in Loyola Chicago. I got really tongue-tied on that for some reason. America's Sweetheart, Sister Jean. Who do you think wins this one? Just putting you on the spot. What's your gut say?
1: Loyola Chicago. You know, I think right now, I think they're playing great basketball, and, and I think they're turning this conference into a two-bit league because I, I just don't see a scenario where Drake is out of it because they've been able to drum up enough publicity from their, you know, 18-0 start that I do think they're still going to make it. Assuming and now they-, they
0: don't totally collapse here down the stretch.
1: Right. But, you know, with Loyola Chicago there, they've got, a, I believe it's a two-game lead in the conference. You know, the Missouri Valley might just be able to swing two teams because both Loy- Loyola and Drake, they're good basketball teams. You know, I-, I think they're both making it. My gut says Loyola in this one. I think they lock up the conference.
0: <sighs> Sorry, Kale. I got to lean with Loyola Chicago as well. Super Kale, uh, one of our lead producers, is a Drake alum. A lot of good games though. We've got Oklahoma at West Virginia, Tennessee at LSU, Arkansas at Missouri. Out of those kind of three, which one are you most excited for?
1: Got I have to, I have to go with the OU West Virginia game just because, not just because it's two ranked teams, but because West Virginia is playing good basketball right now. You know, Oklahoma also is playing good basketball. They had a tremendous stretch of wins there. You know, like I said. And, like we talked about, Baylor should run away with this thing. But who finishes second in the conference is as weird as it sounds like. You know, that sounds like a pity prize to go for second place, but that's what's realistic. Not when point. it's behind Baylor. Like, that's fair. Yeah. That's, that's like a, a 1B because Baylor arguably is the best team in, in college basketball with Gonzaga. So I think I'm going to go with West Virginia on this one. Um, Don't have really any real reason why. I just, I I really like the Mountaineers right now. I've always been a big Huggins fan. I think they're going to pull this one out and they end up finishing second in the conference.
0: Country roads take me home. We got Villanova, Creighton, North Carolina versus Virginia and UNLV Boise State. It really is a kick-ass slate of college basketball on Saturday, especially if you're willing to really diversify your portfolio and your viewing interests and just kind of take it all in. Don't lean one way or the other. That Villanova-Creighton game, I mean, if you're Creighton, you're obviously trying to play spoilers. Probably best for the Big East if Villanova wins that, certifies themselves as the top dog. That North Carolina-Virginia game at 4 p.m. Mountain Time and UNLV-Boise State, though. I'm really looking forward to both of those because UNC, you know, like we talked about, they're a team on the rise. Virginia, they've been kicking the crap out of everyone. This is a kind of a prove-it game for the Tar Heels, you know? How can they hang against one of the best teams on the road? Because UNC, they've been great at home. They haven't won on the road. Yeah, if you are North Carolina, this is a must-win. They need
1: to pick up that signature win that, that can really be your crutch on the resume, you know? Because right now they just don't. I, I mean, you know, I haven't looked at North Carolina's resume in in a bit, and I'm trying to pull it up now. But their most more noteworthy win was you know beating Duke in that rivalry, not because Duke is good, but just because it's a rivalry. Now they've played.
0: And Duke sucks. Like I can't yeah, say this Duke enough. So Duke. Bad sucks.
1: Yeah. They suck. I guess, you know, they also have a win at Stanford, so that's a good win as well. But if you're North Carolina, you've got to go take care of business. That being said, I don't think they're able to. Um, you know, and, and I think that just cements North Carolina as a bottom feeder seed just because, again, they don't have, they don't have enough, win, enough good wins to prove they belong. They're not like a team in the Big 12, even like Kansas, where Kansas is at least 500 in Quad 1 and Quad 2.
0: Yeah, Kansas, that's the thing about KU. You know, as as frustrating as they've been, as disappointing as they've been in the last 10 games, they still have all of those early wins to kind of really boost their resume. Flipping things to Sunday, we've got an early morning game, Michigan at Wisconsin. This is one, it's kind of a trap game for the Wolverines, I feel like. You know, it's still a rivalry setting. You've been coasting. Obviously coming back from the from the COVID outbreak. The the Wolverines they got to win this one.
1: Yeah, they do. And with that being said, I I think it's still absolutely possible Wisconsin wins this one. But if if you're Michigan, you've been on pause for so long that you know it's it's going to be tough if your first game back is a loss. You just need to go out there and say, hey, we're still here.
0: Uh, uh, this you know, is not too. the scenario you want to come back from a COVID pause in.
1: No, you know, you wish it maybe was against Nebraska. That would be a fantastic game to come back from. But yeah, you know, this one against Wisconsin, it's tough. And the problem for the Wolverines is, is it doesn't really get much easier. They play Illinois, or I'm sorry, they play Wisconsin, Rutgers, Ohio State, Indiana, and Iowa all in their next five games. It is a brutal stretch. You really need to pick up as much win as many wins as you can, and that starts on Sunday. While some people will be out with their SO, you know, enjoying a brunch you know where I'll be. Parked in front of a TV watching Big Ten basketball.
0: (laughs) Relationships die. College basketball fandom never does. We've also got game two, Loyola versus Drake. Same things we already talked about before. Don't need to go back into that one. Minnesota and Maryland. You know, Minnesota, they've got some big time home wins. Again, a team that just can't seem to win away from their home arena. I'm somewhat intrigued by that game just because there's not a whole lot else going on. And then Monday, February 15th, we've got Virginia at Florida State. So lots of good college basketball to tune into. We'll be talking about it all. Again, we're going to ramp up our college basketball coverage as we get closer to the tournament. We're going to do Selection Sunday reaction and preview and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be amazing. We love college basketball. Thank you for listening.